Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, welcome back, and thanks to Macca's barista-made ice-cold drive through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. We have on the phone Adam Simpson, the West Coast Eagles senior coach, gearing up for a big, big season. The Eagles are travelling okay so far through the pre-season match simulation stage. Adam, welcome. How's the team shaping up? Good morning, Gus. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time of the year, isn't it, you... Um trying to get everyone as fit as you possibly can, keep everyone on the track, uh, overlay some style of play. Uh, um, and we're introducing a lot of new people to the to the organisation as well. So it's an exciting time. So obviously the one that's being talked about everywhere and is on the back page of the West Australian 11 to 70 times since he arrived in Perth, Harley Reid. Tell us about him. How's he tracking? I'm surprised you went there straight away, Duff. I thought you might have uh, <laughs> given me a couple of soft ones first. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty oh, soft he, one. He's going um, all right, isn't he? It is a soft one. It is a soft <laughs> one. But it's, a, it's an obvious one. And uh, I just hope we um, collectively as a state look after him. We want to keep him for, forever uh, over here. So, yeah, look, he's going really well for an 18-year-old kid who, you know, is carrying a lot of expectations. Um I think the way he plays also allows him to win his own ball. And um, he's finding his way through uh, senior football pretty pretty well so far, but he's, um, he's very young. So you managed him very carefully, I think, the last couple of weeks. He was back in training yesterday. Will he do some match simulation this week, Adam? Yeah, he will. Uh, I, think, I think the previous month he'd done 100 kilometres of work um, which he just has never done before. Um, his upbringing, where he, where he played as a junior, sort of meant he was once a week sort of training around Victoria. He played for six or seven different clubs. So doing a fair jump for all of our kids in terms of the professionalism and the, the work rate required. So a, a slower week for all of the young fellows were, um, was pretty important. Now, one player I've I've got an enormous amount of time for, and I think it's been very frustrating, probably for him and for you over the last three or four seasons. Elliot Yo, he looks like he looks a different athlete to me. I'm not saying he's smaller or slimmer or anything like that. He just looks like there's more muscle through his upper legs, through his backside, through his core. Um, looks like the preparation's been different. It looks like he's going all right. What are your expectations of him? And is it possible we could see a return full time to the midfield from him? Yeah, there's a few few things to that one. Look, he spent a lot of work. He went over to Qatar um, to to get some specialist treatment and maybe some different ways to approach 
his body being uh, so unique and, uh, you know, dealing with some soft tissue injuries for the last three or four years, pretty much since 2020, he, he had a bit of osteitis. He's been really unavailable to be at his best, both from a physical point of view and, and obviously availability. So he's put in a good uh, three or four months. He's hasn't missed a beat. We've managed him to a certain degree in some areas, but he's ready to, to get back and just play full-time midfield work um, if he continues to go the way he is. So it's been really pleasing to see his confidence in his own body. And, yeah, he's, he's really taken a step forward to hopefully uh, getting a good couple of years out of him. I think that's fantastic news because you, your possibilities change a fair bit off the back of the availability of Yo McGovern, Jamie Cripps, obviously Jack Darling's nursing a bit of a hamstring niggle at the moment, but um, appears to be ready to get back well before round one. The, the, the availability ability of your senior players, are you confident the worst of the injury woes are behind you? Well, I hope so. It's been a tough couple of years in that space. So, um, Look, we're obviously going through a build and we're really not looking backwards, to be honest. We're looking forward and we're excited about our younger players, you know, the 20-odd kids under 22. But I think the, one of the most important pillars to all that is our senior experience and our senior players who have had a lot of success over their careers and we just haven't seen them play together. So if we can get them going, um, they will complement the kids coming through and um, give everyone a bit more confidence. Question from one of our listeners, Greg, and I watched you play the probables, well, what looked like the probables versus the possibles early on Thursday night. Andrew Gaff was on a wing. Greg wants to know, would Andrew Gaff be expected to be in your round one team at this stage? Well, I hope so. He's um, he's obviously coming off a different year and a really challenging couple of years, really, um, with his body as well. He's dealing with some injuries that perhaps not many people know about. He, He doesn't complain, he just gets on with it. And I'm looking for his best version, which probably is on that wing. Um, and his running profile suggests that he's got back to some of the numbers he was producing a few years ago. So if he can just uh, continue in that form, it's probably up for grabs that wing spot for a number of players who um, have been trying pretty hard on it. But um, and it gives as much chance as anyone. I've never seen a second-year midfielder as big as Ruben Jinby through the shoulders, Adam. <laughs> like I, I, The first session I went down to... Um, a few weeks back, I went WTF looking at Jinby. He's massive. Um, what? How do you use him this year? Well, we're still working through that. We're trying to settle him down a little bit in terms of position. He started his career as a midfielder with us, which was pretty raw because I don't think he'd spent a lot of time on ball in junior football. Uh, he adapted really well, played on some really exceptional A-grade talent. And now we, we're trying to maximise his uh, athletic profile. He's got probably almost oh, the best endurance runner we have, and he's probably got the highest speed as well. And he's big, he's 192 centimetres. So at the moment we're looking, uh, you know, more of an on-ball position that can, uh, you know, really one of those real transition players to support players like Yo and Kelly and, you know, Harley if he's going through there and Liam and those guys. So... He's going to be important for us. Um, yeah. Elijah Hewitt, another young guy, um, obviously has a foot injury or f- a foot condition, I think, probably had it since early life, sesamoiditis. What's the prognosis in terms of when he gets back and is available to play? Yeah, we uh, we saw him running yesterday. So he's um, 
he's had a bit of a deload. He's um, had some specialist advice about how to treat this uh, injury. It's not that uncommon. I think there's a you know handful of players around the AFL have dealt with this in their junior years. So we've got some good advice on that, and we're going to try and really ramp it up in the next few weeks. One young bloke, obviously all the talks have been about Harley Reid, but one guy that looked okay, I reckon, um, played with your your white team on Thursday night early and, and held his own in the, the heavy traffic around stoppages, Clay Hall. What, what's your expectation of him this year? It's interesting, Duff, with all these young players. I mean, they're 18. And uh, coming off last year with the 18-year-olds that debuted as well, um, you know, really happy that that's the case. And we continue to look at that. But they're very young. And um, expectations are that he continues to grow his um, professionalism, his uh, ability to play 120 minutes, um, execute a role for us. Um, contribute in team defence, all those things that uh, take two or three years. But I, I wouldn't surprise me if he got exposed to some senior football this year. Oliver Brockman, you see him in your team for round one, and is he a forward? Is he a forward mid? What's your What's your plans for him? Uh, for Brock Brockman, yeah, Brockman. So Tyler Brockman. So uh, yeah, Tyler. Yeah. I think, I, I think I'm confusing. I think I'm confusing Brockman. authors with footballers. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's. He's probably going to continue to play the same role he did at Hawthorne. He'll be a, a forward that um, actually we've, we've pinched him on board a little bit, and he's uh, shows a lot of class and speed in that area. So, you know, depending on our health, I think uh, you know our forward line should should step up a level with speed with uh, with Tyler inside. Adam, after two seasons that you've had, and there was speculation about your position um, at the end of last year. Do you was feel do, <laughs> you didn't notice? I did, didn't notice that at all. <laughs> did you feel pressure, and do you feel pressure at this point in time um, going into a season like this? That's a good question because how do you define pressure? I think uh, it comes with the job, comes with the industry, and I've learned to deal with it probably a long time ago. I reckon 2016-17 there was. Um, question marks on, you know, where we're going as a, as a club. And I don't know, Duff, I just feel like I want to get the best out of this list, um, grow them as quickly as I can without neglecting the fact that there's some hard yards ahead of us. And then what will be, will be. So not really, mate. No, I just get on with my job and, and, and try and do the best I can. The, uh, the part of that development, obviously, is having a good, strong waffle team. That's been a struggle with your availability and probably the inability to build a competitive list over the last couple of years. Are you confident that has changed? You've got Rusco. Um, I think you've got Gilby, who's, who's come across, who looks okay as yep. well. Um, will we see a better Waffle Eagles this year? Yeah, well, I mean, the big, biggest question for us is if we have the availability that we hope we get, and it's just normal, you know, it's just the standard uh, injuries that clubs have, and we deal with what we, you know, dealt with in previous years before the last couple, um, we should have, you know, 10 to 15 players playing waffle football and then the top-up boys and the, the guys that we try and recruit from amateurs and the guys we recruit from interstate complement the rest of our list, I think we'll be quite competitive. But if we get, you know, the same issues we had the last couple of years, it'll be a challenge. So they are really a victim of our availability, to be honest, us. 
Adam, I really appreciate your time joining us today. I believe you've got 12 meetings to go to right off the top uh, <laughs> when your working day starts in a few minutes' time. Thanks so much for joining us and look forward to seeing uh, a better and more competitive West Coast team this year. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Adam Simpson, the West Coast Eagles senior coach. Thanks to Macca's Barista Maid, ice cold drive through for your iced coffee favourites and McCafe. Now that's coffee fit for an Aussie. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu U dealer today on SENWA. Live from the Toolkit Depot studio, this is Mornings with Mark Duffield. Yes, hello everybody. We are coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We made a big start to 2024 yesterday. We had West Coast Eagles coach Adam Simpson on the show, of course. Simo lit a bit of a fire under social media by declaring that he wanted Andrew Gaff in his round one team. Obviously, a lot of the punters don't want Andrew Gaff in West Coast round one team. But we're going to turn our attention to Fremantle today, and we're going to the Dockers straight off the top of the show. We're going to talk to Simon Garlick, the Dockers CEO. The Dockers have just released their financials for the 2023 season. We're going to talk to Simon about that and a number of other things. Thanks to Macca's barista-made ice-cold drive through for your ice-coffee ice favourites at McCafe. So Simon Garlick is with me on the show now. Simon, welcome. Thanks, Duff. Thanks for having me on. Good to hear you back on air. Um, you've had an extended break. Hutchie gives you a fair, fair break, the, the A-graders, doesn't he? <laughs> um, you must be feeling nice and fresh. I, I call it a work break when I come back to work, mate, and I, my, my life is a long holiday. <laughs> so, Thanks for having me on, mate. Good to chat. Uh, it's always good to talk to you, Simon. So, mate, your financials have been released. $1.64 million profit, a $1.84 million royalty paid to the West Australian Football Commission. Record turnover, and obviously you had uh, record home attendances um, and a record membership, but... The profit and the royalty are down a little bit. Is that rising costs squeezing you up a bit? Oh, it's a combination of factors, stuff. Um, firstly, it's just a, it's actually an incredibly positive result for us um, in, the, in the whole scheme of things. It's our, our second biggest profit in the club's history after last year's um, third highest royalty payment. And as you said, just some stats that sort of roll off the tongue easily, but shouldn't be shouldn't be lost certainly on our members and fans who do such an amazing job. Sixty two thousand members just over, and we average just over forty four thousand um, as a crowd, and and that sounds you know reasonable in the context of of our history and and local football, but it shouldn't be lost. That's fifth in the competition, and that's behind clubs that have the MCG a capacity of 100,000 as their home ground uh, and also play each other or play other big clubs on a week-to-week basis. So Richmond, for instance, might have 60,000 of their supporters go to a game and 30,000 Essendon supporters come and join them. Unfortunately, we don't get 30,000 Essendon supporters coming over the Nullarbor to watch us at, at, at their away game. So, you know, incredibly encouraging result. We'll set ourselves some big targets, as you know, stuff that we want to achieve over the next couple of years. So this is another another good step towards that. Yeah, and unlike a lot of people, I like the strategic plan. I think it's great that the club puts itself out there. And, and one of the things I'm going to talk about a bit later in the show is I think if there is anything Fremantle can do, it's 
be a bit, a little bit harder on themselves and sort of like you know, hold themselves to these things. And I think it's great you've put yourself out there and done that. But I was interested to read your comments that went with the financial report. You talked about some research you did before you took the job in 2019 and how back in 2010 when Fremantle were going okay, they played finals that year and obviously Richmond and West Coast had down years. The home attendances at Subiaco were bigger than West Coast and the membership was bigger than Richmond. And you made the point that the the growth of a club comes with sustained on-field success. So how do you get to that point at Fremantle? Yeah, that's right. As you said, I, I think it became clear to me as I was you know, going through the process of, of, of this CEO's role uh, back towards the end of 2019, you know, understandably do a bit of due diligence and talk to a number of people that you trust. And it just became so clear to me that the, the foundations of our football club are incredibly strong. And as, as you said, our, our membership was akin and close to that of West Coast and Richmond and our home ground, average home ground attendance was same, was very much similar to both of those clubs at that point in time. Now, both of those clubs, obviously, since then and around that time have had sustained on-field success and we've seen what their membership and, and home ground attendance has gone to. So it really is a preview of, of, of what we can achieve and what we can be as a club because in reality, we haven't had that sustained run. The best... Um, consecutive numbers of finals campaigns we've had is four uh, in the run from 2012 onwards. And then obviously we fell off sharply after 2015. So despite that, you know, we've got 62,000 members of the Purple Army who are incredibly loyal and do a great job for our club and we've averaged 44,000. So yeah, that's why you're here. And I know sometimes it can sound a bit like football speak and corporate speak and the like, but our club is unrelenting and unapologetic for making decisions that set us up for sustained success. And that, whether that's commercially or from a list management perspective or the people that we put in place, it's all geared towards giving ourselves a chance to have a decade run at contending. Um, you've seen it, Duff, you know footy as well as anyone. They're the clubs that tend to end up you know, winning a flag or two along the way, those that give themselves that chance. So, so that's what we'll continue to do, and we won't apologise for that, and, and that's what we think is... Um, and that's where we think we're heading. That's what we're really optimistic about. A lot of listeners texting in or tweeting or Xing or whatever you do on, on Twitter, what used to be Twitter, and X now. Um, <laughs> You're showing your age, mate. Yeah, You're I know. Well, mate, I, I turned 60 a couple of weeks ago. I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> what they, the question they want to put to you is what went wrong last year and how do you fix it? Yeah, obviously that, that's directly related to, to on-field. Um, we'd had a really nice, uh, neat, Linear trajectory, if you like, under Justin when he started his first year in 2020, where we had seven wins, then we went to 10, and then we went to 15 and a half in the regular season and won a final, obviously in 2022. So you'd love that trajectory just to continue um, in that neat fashion and, and, you know, go on until you win it all. Um, but it's an incredibly difficult competition. Um, we finished top six in 2022. We had a more difficult draw as a result. Um, we didn't sneak up on any teams. They had done their research and knew um, that we had an incredibly talented, albeit young, list. Um, so th- th- there was no there was no surprising any club uh, in, in 2023 and beyond. And, um, and look, we just obviously didn't perform in a consistent manner in the way that we had the year before. And... Um, that's something that's clearly been a significant focus for us. And when you combine those things and a number of others, it just um, meant that, unfortunately, we didn't have the year that we'd liked. Obviously, one ten games. It um, was still in, content, in contention up until three weeks or so of the final series, but certainly was below our and our members and fans' expectations. So 
Um, that's what it has done. Duffy certainly provide a, a really steely resolve and determination for us to continue back on that path that we were on previously. And for, with that in mind, it's been an incredibly pleasing pre-season. You can't read into anything too much because everyone's undefeated at this time of year. But um, apart from a, a couple of injuries um, that we're just working through at the moment, it's it's been the pre-season that we'd hope for in, in terms of the way that our coaches have set up and our football department structure and staff have set up the pre-season and the way that our playing group have attacked it. Uh, we've sort of ticked every box in that regard. Um, as I said, means very little at this point of year, but um, we're, we're really pleased with where we're positioned right now. This is a football matter, Simon, and I know you, you try and steer clear of footy department um, stuff as, as much as you can, but obviously you are the CEO of the entire club. Heath Chapman's soft tissues, uh, these, the problems he's having with that. I know the club did seek some outside help at the end of last year. He's done another one now probably misses round one at least. Um, how do you tackle this going forward and what sort of program do you put in place for Heath and do you reach out for outside help again and see if you can try and find something to turn this pattern around? Oh, the short answer is we'll do anything and everything, Duff. Um, he's a clearly a significant talent athletically and football-wise, but uh, what Heath also is, which is certainly, again, another Another element that's been driving a lot of our decision-making is he's just an incredible young man. Um, we love having him part of our club. He's going to play a huge role in, in our future uh, fortunes and success moving forward. Um, and, uh, you know, just to give uh, the listeners a bit of insight, the way he, even he handled the later setback, which for anyone you'd think um, you'd forgive for, for being down and out and feeling sorry for themselves, but... Jappy in the second half got outside, got amongst his teammates who were playing the second half of that scratch match, uh, and and then we had a we had a, um, a quiet get together on Saturday night as a as a football department, and 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 Chappie and his girlfriend Jess were there, uh, and he was in good spirits, which just shows you that he understands the trials and tribulations with footy and and has handling it brilliantly well. So he'll do everything. We know that's not an issue as a professional young man he is, and then we'll just be working through everything. Duff, as you said. There's a bit of history there now. Um, we've tried a couple of different things, but we'll sit down in the coming uh, week and just figure out what the next short-term, immediate-term over the next two to three looks like. But given we're not going to take any chances with, with Heath, as you say, um, clearly around one and two probably look unlikely. We'll just do whatever it takes. And that, that could include you know some radical stuff. It might include you know some opportunities overseas. Um, we haven't locked anything like that in yet, but it's something that we'll work through over coming days. Saw Sam Switkowski came out of training yesterday too. Uh, any issue there, and what's the, the update on that? Uh, no specific update as yet, Duff, um, other than yeah, there was, I think there was an element of tightness. And uh, as, as we know, Swit has had a little bit of history with that back area as well too, so um, certainly precautionary at this stage, but I think we'll get that tested. Uh, today, just to get an understanding of what that like. We certainly think whatever it is at the, is at the minor end, and Switter would be still very much in calculations for, for round one. So when you look at it in that regard, we, we, we're pretty confident that um, that the Brandon Walker, uh, Wags and Coxie uh, are still very much in the frame. So so chappy aside, we're in reasonable shape from that perspective, but we've got a scratch match this weekend and then a hit out against the Eagles and Port Adelaide in coming weeks to get through before we... Uh, before we start to settle on round one soon. It must be an incredibly nervous time for the, the coaches and the players in particular. You, you do all that work and then you come into this final run where the, the match simulation and the practice matches get dinkum and, um, and so much can happen, as we saw with West Coast last year, I guess. 
Yeah, it is tough, but I think you flip that around. It's incredibly exciting. I mean, it's exciting for clearly members and fans. I think we've all had enough of cricket and tennis and the like. Great sports, but the real stuff's about to start in a month, so we can't wait for that as, as, a, as a state anyway. I know that, and more of a, as a country, but I think we look at it as an exciting period. We understand the nature of the beast. Um, we've got a phenomenal high-performance team, medical staff that we've built up again, in the, in the manner that I spoke about before over the last few years, have done a fantastic job. They're absolute pros. <clears throat> we know we're going to have some hiccups along the way. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got another opportunity this Friday to have a hit out amongst ourselves, and then we can't wait to get to Laughlin the following week and then head over to Adelaide because, yeah, I mean, we understand and the, and the competition knows that we've got an incredibly talented but young list, but we... We think youth is our advantage, and with youth comes enthusiasm and excitement and dare, and that's certainly how we're approaching season 2024. So um, that's that's our attitude at the moment, Tough. So is anything less than finals a fail in 2024, and is your coach under pressure looking at that as a baseline? Oh, I think the, the competition is 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 so demanding and so cutthroat, and all teams are so professional and improving on a yearly year basis that sort of binary assessments I, I think a bit simplistic stuff the, the reality is that um, you know, our main aim at this point in time is to is to continue to improve um, we're not we wouldn't shirk away from playing finals as our absolute aspiration and winning finals this year is our aspiration we don't think there's I talked about our youth, but we don't think there's any limit on what we can achieve in, in 2024. Um, we've got another 20 games, basically, under the, under the belts of the like. It's fun, it sounds funny saying that, that Brayshaw and Sarong feel like um, they're not the young ones, given you know, the, the, the 23, 24 and the like. But an, even another 20 games experience for, for young leaders like those guys, not to mention the likes of, of Josh Tracy, Jai Amos, um, Luke Jackson still, you know, yeah, so, uh, just I think just turned 22. Uh, so the benefit of that for us is going to be significant this year. Um, so we're looking for absolute improvement in 2024. Um, we want to play finals. We're not stepping away from that at the moment. But for us to put a binary measure on that just doesn't make sense uh, at this point in time. But um, we, we can't wait to attack the season with vigour. Um, just before I let you go, Simon, you've had SSP candidates training at the the club. Patrick Voss, in particular, appears to have made an impact. Um, any mail on when the club makes a decision on that? Oh, it's got to be later this week. Uh, Duff, I think their cutoff is the fifteenth. Forgive me if I get that slightly wrong, but it's in, essentially in the next few days. So. You're right. We've been really fortunate. We've had Max Beattie, Sam Van Ruin, Patrick Voss, uh, Daniel McKenzie, unfortunately. Um, Peter Hammy last week was doing some great stuff with us as well too. So it's it's been a fantastic two, two group to have with us. Um, uh, you're right, Patrick's obviously done a lot right in the last couple of weeks in particular to put his hand up. Max has been really consistent the, 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 all the way through and, and Sam has really shown some you know, incredible athletic traits that that, that catch the eye. So um, Dave Walls and, and the recruiting team will do a bit of work and we'll meet as a list management group and work out where we go from there. But um, you know, we've got two spots currently. Um, we've got to make some decisions about what that could look like and whether you leave one open. 
for the mid-season draft and um, got a couple of decisions to make on that front. So um, it's it's uh, so there'll, there'll be some tough ones, but, but but a good position to be in. Simon, really appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, wish you all the best for the season. I'm hoping it's a return to September action. I'm hoping that uh, that membership climbs to around 70,000 by the end of this season. Uh, congratulations on the work so far and hopefully there's better stuff to come. You're hoping, Duff. I'm the one that said we'll get to 80,000. No, you're, uh, you're, really, you're really hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, Sport, mate. Good to chat and can't wait to see all the Purple Army at round one against Brisbane in uh, a bit over a month's time. Good on you, Simon. Cheers, Duff. That's Simon Garlick, the CEO of the Fremantle Dockers. Thanks to Macca's Barista Made Ice Cold. Drive through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. Now that's coffee fit for an Aussie. We'll be back with more after the break. You're going to need a bigger boat. They've had nothing to get excited mm. about. They've mm. been the whipping boys, which for West Coast Eagles team is unfamiliar territory. They've been a power of this competition from when they first came in back in 1987. Mm. And now all of a sudden they've gone through this period where they've been... Yeah, the laughing stock in lots of ways, and the, what the prospects of them having a massive improvement this year are pretty low as well. They've got to start again, all that sort of stuff. So they're dealing with that, and then this kid, this most hyped kid mm. in recent times, lobs on the doorstep. So they go right. That he is the thing where all the attention's going to go because if they if he's been absorbed into a powerful West Coast side of yesteryear, yeah. then you're not having these issues because their load's been shared by. You know, the whole, whether it's Jakovic and Maine Waring yeah. and, you know, all those players. But not now. He is the beacon. Gary Lyon with his thoughts on Harley Reid and the uh, the plethora yeah. of attention that has been bestowed on Harley Reid upon his arrival in Perth. It's, a, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic, this, I think. Um, of course, this is Duff's Deep Dive. We are brought to you by Isuzu D-Max. You can live your own way in the Isuzu four-wheel drive D-Max. Um, I, I just worry about how it will affect him. Mm. I know he can play, and the the simple reality of this from a media perspective is that stories about Harley Reid, and I'll, I'll guarantee you this is the way the West Australian, and they've been the main ones pushing Harley Reid. He's on the back page. Just about, did he make it on the back page today? I can't remember. I have to check anyone. No, no, one, no one's looking at me yet, so... We'll get that checked out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's been on the back page most days yeah. since his arrival in Perth. It's been, you know, a staggering run. They would have the simple view, I'll guarantee you, that stories about Harley Reid generate more clicks mm. than stories about other people. So, therefore, despite the fact he hasn't played a senior game, um, despite the fact that there are other massive issues that will affect the outcome of West Coast season, probably issues that will affect the outcome of West Coast season to a far greater degree than how Harley Reid goes. I mean, my only hope for Harley Reid this year is that he gets through the year, he shows enough for people to be encouraged by his performance, he is healthy at the end of the season and in a position to push onwards and upwards in the pre-season heading into 2025 and then is a, is, is a bigger, stronger, better athlete leading into 2025. So the main thing I reckon you want, if you're West Coast with Harley Reid, don't get injured. Mm. Don't get injured this year. We saw that Campbell Chesser had a couple of setbacks and we're still wondering, you know, what's going to happen with him, sort of what's this, this is his third year mm. in the AFL system. You know, he probably won't be a walk-up start to play in round one. We heard Adam Simpson say that Andrew Gaff, he wants Andrew Gaff on one wing. Hope so. So <laughs> I, would, I would hope so, he said. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, um, Campbell Chess is no guarantee to, mm. to be in the round one team. And, and probably Campbell Chesser just needs to play somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I, I get the reasons for the hype, but my hope for Harley Reid is that he gets through mm. and, and comes out of it in a, in a position to attack 2025 and be bigger and better in 2025. So Harley's not on the back of the paper today, so yeah, that one off. But um, just just for context, they're, they're talking after Simo said, hope the state can look after him or, you know, do whatever to make sure he sticks around because they want to keep him forever sort of thing. And, you know... How does it become a state problem? Oh, I understand. But <laughs> I know what he, I know where he's coming from. What he's saying, but you like, can understand what he yeah. means in that. You know, yeah. like he's he's basically urging people to um, calm the farm, take a chill pill. When do we start the "What are you doing for Harley Reid" campaign? <laughs> when, when does it start, though? Like you know, when 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 can we? You know, you're you're around the water cooler at work, and you just say, "What are you done for Harley Reid this week?" Yeah, if I was Adam Simpson, I'd probably be saying, "Can everyone just calm down?" Oh, absolutely. You know? um, yeah, look, it's it, it's a tough one for West Coast. He's gonna if he plays well, there'll be even more hype. Yeah, you know? Harley for the Brownlow, yeah. Harley for the MVP, yeah. Harley for the Rising Star, right. Harley for the All Australia yeah. Team. You know, there'll be all that stuff going on. And if he plays badly, it'll be. Oh God! What was all the fuss about? You yeah, know, have they got this wrong? You know, have they got another one wrong? Bust. The draft table. Yeah. <laughs> um, Harley it, draft bust. Is there a pass mark with Harley? I mean, I guess yours is probably he gets through the season healthy. He's ready for an even bigger twenty twenty five. I've seen enough to think that if he plays, he'll play pretty well. It's going to be a pass. Yeah. yeah. So so pretty well. Yep. Means that he'll play at least as well as Jason Horn Francis did in his first season at North Melbourne, mm-hmm. when he had to play inside mid, you know, very tough role in a yep. struggling team. Um, you know, there were a few knockers, but there was also glimpses of what he might be. Mm. Now, clearly, he went home and, and has become a very good player for um, Port Adelaide. But that's minimum. And, you know, he might play as well as Ashcroft did yeah. until he was injured mm. at Brisbane last year. And he might, you know, who knows? If Fingers crossed. He plays as well as... Um, Nick Dacos, <laughs> yeah, which is setting the bar pretty high. Someone like, say, take Noah Anderson at Gold Coast in mm. his first season. Now, he was the offshoot to Matt Rowell. Matt Rowell was considered the stud, and and um, and Noah Anderson was considered the right-hand man. Noah Anderson has probably had the better career so far, had a really good, solid first mm. season. So if Harley Reid was to have that sort of year at West Coast, I'd be happy. Yeah. The other half of the discussion with Gary was what Tim Watson had to say, and this is Tim's comment. It's hard to know whether or not you can prepare somebody for this too because you get a young kid in, any young kid that you draft, any club that drafted a kid last year, you get them into your football club and you try and prepare them for AFL football. Mm. But what they're trying to prepare him for is something that is unique to the West Coast Eagles. And there's not another kid that got drafted last year who's going to be experiencing the same things that Harley Reid is in terms of the attention that's been applied to him. No. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about I don't know how you can prepare somebody for that. You can talk to them about it and say, you know, in their pre-discussions, they would have said, oh, look, we, you know, if we take you, this is what you might expect coming to WA. You know, we only got the two teams over there. There's a lot of media attention, particularly on the West Coast Eagles. There's even more attention on you. We've had a very bleak couple of years, as you outlined. We've had no success 
There's nothing exciting about us. You will be the most exciting thing that comes to our team and therefore you're going to be written about and talked about and recognised in the streets, all that type of thing. And you try and prepare somebody for that. It's so foreign. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Mm. And, I mean, the, Gary's point that if he came into a team with some of those West Coast legends and stuff like that, West Coast wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have had access to him. So his player like Harley Reid has to come in when your team's at the bottom. So this is the key. And so for me, the biggest thing for West Coast, and Adam Simpson touched on this yesterday, and it wasn't about whether Andrew Gaff plays. Mm. But for me, if Jeremy McGovern plays, mm. if Elliot Yeo plays and can play full-time in the midfield, if Jamie Cripps plays and plays, you know, the best version of Jamie Cripps, yep. like the, the five-goal version that won in the game against the Western Bulldogs. Yep. Tom Barras, Tim Kelly, Oscar Allen, Jack Darling. Mm. If all these guys play, then West Coast can win six to nine games. Mm. And they'll play well um, if they play. If they're fit and available, these guys will play well because they're good players. So mm. that's going to be the thing. And, and this is going to be the thing that Simo's going to be able to – push his young players into the team around. That's big mm. for them. Otherwise, if it just becomes about how many kicks, marks and handballs Harley Reid got in a 10-goal loss, that'll get tough. Is, is there a way that Harley's taking the <clears throat> you know attention and the pressure for everyone else that maybe was a bit off last year? You know, we, you know, we know that if those guys come back and you know they, they're doing their jobs and they're playing well, that's great. But at the moment, it's all... The unknown, it's all the what-ifs, it's all the potential. And as much as, you know, Harley has been touted as a number one draft pick since he was however old, not that that gives you any... Pre-birth. Yeah, <laughs> they said this is the one. Not that that gives you any... The chosen one. Um, that, you know, a kid can stand up to the pressure and all that sort of stuff, which for all intents and purposes he has so far, but is he taking the pressure for the rest of the senior group at the moment? Some good text coming through. Um, how many number one drafts picks have ever lived up to the hype? Greg mm. from Les, Les Clive did. Yep. <laughs> Put him down. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. The, the, I mean, you know, you take the Bontempelli draft as a classic example. I think was um, Delidio was number one, I mm. think. Lids. Um, often it's that number three, four or five pick. Buddy Franklin in his draft, you know, was pick four or five. Mm. Matthew Pavlich in his draft was pick... I think pick four. Mm. Um, Peter Matera in his draft was pick three or four, I think. They ended up being the best mm. players in that. Paul Hazelby. Paul Hazelby was <laughs> pick two. Hey, everyone, everyone, I think that's a joke, but one of my favourite footballers, so, you know, say what you will. He's a very good player, yeah, Hayes, that's it. Australian player. Yep, 200-game player. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu dealer today on SENWA. Live from the Toolkit Depot studio, this is Mornings with Mark Duffield. We've got a lot to talk about in 2024. Thanks to Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Here are four thoughts on West Coast, and we'll be talking to Adam Simpson very shortly on the show to four-wheel drive you to work today. The four things I want to see from West Coast in 2024. The first one is something I don't want to hear from Coach Adam Simpson. I don't want to hear Simo tell us when one of his 2018 Premiership stars comes under fire for lack of performance, that the bloke has credits in the bank. The Eagles have won five of their last 45 games. They've won seven of their last 54. Oscar Allen might have credits in the bank after 59 goals last year, and Tim Kelly and Liam Duggan might too after really strong seasons. 
no one else. Simo is coaching under a lot of pressure this year. The two years he has left to run on his contract probably helped save him at the end of last season after a very bleak year. But a year further along with only one year left, it probably wouldn't save him this year if he doesn't meet expectations. And that means by all means give experience first crack at the season over youth because it's a long year and you want to win some games early. But if his experienced players falter again, he can't be cutting them the slack that some of them perhaps have been cut since the first half of the 2021 season. Point two, I really want Jeremy McGovern and Elliot Yo to have strong seasons. One, because I think they are the biggest two single missing pieces of the puzzle for West Coast over the last two years. If McGovern and Yo stay sound, then a lot more is possible for the Eagles than if they are crippled by injury again. And both have been crippled by injury since 2020, and that fact has had a lot to do with West Coast's underwhelming efforts in 2021 and the chaos and disaster of the last two years. Yo has played 37 of the club's last 85 games. He was a two-time best and fairest winner, and that included in the 2018 Premiership year. He is that important to them. And McGovern is a four-time All-Australian who, at his best, is as good as any interceptor in the competition. He has played just 46 of the club's last 85 games. When I look from training at which West Coast players I think have changed their body shapes in search of better outcomes this year than they've had the last two seasons, I think McGovern and Yo are the two standouts. If they play well, I think others around them will play better and the Eagles will be a lot harder to play against. Point three, of course, Harley Reid or Backpage Harley, as we're starting to call him now after so many mentions on the back page of the local paper. I want to see Harley Reid play well after all the hype he's been subjected to since he arrived in Perth. But most of all, I want to see the Victorian teenager get through the season healthy in a position to be bigger, better and stronger than he was in 2024 when he takes the field in 2025. And the same goes for Reuben Jinby, Elijah Hewitt, who of course has that sesamoiditis foot problem, Noah Long, Brady Hoff, Clay Hall, a newcomer like Harley Reid, and a half dozen other young Eagles who the team needs to develop for the longer term. Whatever might be possible for West Coast this year, more is possible for them next year. And I often hark back to the wise words from the club's former strength and conditioning coach, Glenn Stewart, about players. He once told me that they get better when they are playing and training. So whatever you do, don't break them. I do love the fact, and this has been uh, put publicly and privately by a new CEO, Don Pike, that they are training longer and harder than they have in the past two years. Pike has said they are training for durability, not availability. The health and the durability of their youngsters is probably the most important outcome for the club this season. My last point, and I'll be asking Adam Simpson about this in our interview coming up soon, the Eagles need a more competitive waffle team. And part of that is going to be about being able to get more fit bodies on the park at AFL level and having more fit ones left over to play in the waffle. And part of it is also going to be about whether the list tweaks the WA Footy Commission has allowed the Eagles to make between the 2023 and 2024 seasons enable them to strengthen the calibre of their top-up players 
and narrow the gap between their best and worst teams when they do get injuries. And to that end, adding Trey Rusco from Collingwood and Jason Gilby from GWS, I think is going to be handy. And both of those players have shown a bit in the match simulations I've watched them play in. For the Eagles youngsters to be able to develop, they need a competitive team to play in. And while some waffle clubs have formed the view that they wouldn't care that much if the AFL forms a reserves competition and West Coast and or Fremantle, who are happy at Peel, leave to play in it, to me that would hurt rather than help the waffle competition. AFL players in the competition helps lift the profile of the waffle. They also give the local youngsters coming through a guide on what they need to do to make it in the big time. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Uh, Of course, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. So we did start yesterday with West Coast coach Adam Simpson. We had Simon Garlick, the CEO of Fremantle, on today with news of the club financials for the 2023 season. It's an interesting set of numbers, record turnover, record average crowds, record membership. Still can't help thinking 2023 was one of missed opportunity for the Dockers, given the struggles of West Coast. Really hope they can make good on their 2022 promise this year. So how do they do that? So thanks to Isuzu Utes and the Isuzu D-Max, here are four thoughts on the Dockers in 2024 to four-wheel drive you to work today. The four things I really want to see from the Fremantle Dockers this season. One, I want to see the club and the players be a little harder on themselves. And I've got a couple of theories on what happened to Fremantle in 2023. First, I think the list changes they had affected them more than they anticipated. It was probably time for David Mundy to retire at the age of 37. But his loss combined with the avoidable loss of big-bodied Blake Akers from the midfield left them smaller and more vulnerable than they thought it would be. It caught them on the back foot in the first two months of the season. They stumbled to two and five. The midfield got pushed around and bullied, and they were playing catch-up from that point, always a couple of wins shy of where they might have been able to attack the back half of the season from. But I think there was a second part of the struggle as well. I don't think they handled the expectations put on the club after a rapid rise up the ladder in 2022. As I mentioned to Simon earlier, I like the fact that the club has a strategic plan in place. I like the fact that they've set goals. Those goals are lofty. And you don't want them to retreat from that now, even if the goals become unachievable. You want the club to put expectations on itself And you want the club to get used to dealing with those expectations. It is what the stronger clubs do. And if Fremantle aspires to be a stronger club, I think they need to put themselves out there. The team that got too small and too young in 2023 is a year older, bigger and stronger. There seems a reasonable chance that Nat Fife will hold up in the midfield to add another big body. Time for the club to remove the safety net and really go after what they want. Point two... This follows on from the first. I'm not one of those people who believes that the the Sean Darcy, Luke Jackson, one-two ruck punch can't work. They are different players and they bring different things to the table. Now, personally, I wouldn't have committed as much contract uh, money and salary cap share as the Dockers have put into the ruck duo. But now that they've done it, they've got to make it work. And to make it work, both the ruckman and the mids at their feet have to aim high. 
Luke Jackson kicked 22 goals last year from 41 shots on goal. I want that tally to be 25 to 30 goals this year. And Sean Darcy kicked 12 goals in 2021 and 10 goals in 2022, but only four goals last year. Now, Darcy can go forward and mark the ball, and he should be adding 10 to 15 goals this year. If the Dockers get a minimum 35 to 40 goals from their resting Ruckman, they will have effectively created a second tall forward option and taken weight and pressure off youngster Jai Amis. Amis played a remarkable season last year, but he's still just 20. And the other non-negotiable for the Dockers with these two in the ruck is that they must win the clearance battle every week. In several of those disappointing early season losses Fremantle didn't recover from last year, they not only lost clearances, they lost them badly. If you are investing as much money in ruck stocks as Freo are and you're losing clearances, you are wasting your money. Point three... I want Hayden Young in the midfield, and assuming that Nat Fife stays fit, I don't want there to be stoppages where there isn't at least one of Young and Fife in there. The Dockers lacked big, hard bodies in there in 2023, and while I think Matt Johnson will spend time inside as well as on the wing, and Neil Erasmus develops is developing as an inside mid, Young is big and strong and turns left, which is really valuable for a midfield to have. And Fife, even though he's 32, is a beast, who, if he plays things right, will create time and space for blokes like Brayshaw and Sarong in the manner that Dave Mundy used to. Mundy had a glorious two-season finish to his career in part because of what he could do with the ball, but also in part because of the chances he was able to create for the players around him and the wisdom he brought to a young midfield. Fife, 32, 218 games into a storied career, still has the time to write his own fairy tale if he stays fit and gets it right. Last point, point four, I want Michael Frederick to become the most lethal chase-down tackling forward in the AFL in the same way that Andy Brayshaw took his another game to another level in 2022 by becoming the game's best two-way running mid. In 2023... The now-departed Lockie Schultz kicked 33 goals and laid 95 tackles at better than four per game. Frederick was also dangerous offensively, kicking 26 goals, but he laid 32 tackles in his 19 games at less than two per game. Schultz and fellow fellow forward Sam Switkowski finished fourth and fifth in Fremantle's tackle count. Frederick finished 19th. Veteran forward Michael Walters, now 32, and about half as quick as Frederick, laid one more tackle than Frederick. It gets back to what I mentioned at the top of this. The Dockers need to get harder on themselves. Who is quicker, Schultz or Frederick? The answer is obvious. Who had the greater appetite to tackle and apply pressure in 2023? The answer is equally obvious. Fast Freddie should be an absolute nightmare for opposition defenders trying to shift the ball from the back. If he does that, he will be well on the way to becoming one of the most dangerous and potent small forwards in the AFL. Welcome back out here at Optus Stadium, the Toolkit Depot studio. It's a beautiful day outside, and you can, on a day like this, live your own way in the Isuzu. D-Max, coming up next, Scott Baker is the WA Football Commission's Executive Manager of Talent and Footy Operations. We've got a couple of questions to put to Scotty. Scotty, welcome to the show. Morning, Darth. How you going, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. I'm uh, looking forward to an end to the hot weather and some cooler weather, but uh, apart from that, fine. Hey, I was looking at footage the other day of 
a pre-season combine involving some of WA's leading young footballers. Obviously, we all know about the the draft combines that happen at the end of the season. Tell us about the pre-season one that's just taken place. Yeah, so the pre-season one we had um, over the weekend. So we had um, you know each, each club uh, put forward about 30 to 35 players each, and that was across the boys and girls. So we had over 500 athletes. Test. We had the uh, we had the girls in on on Saturday, and then the boys uh, did Sunday because the girls uh, Wapped up your practice game started on the weekend, so a lot of those girls backed up and played in practice games on Sunday in the in, in the heat. So um, yes, yeah, so we've done that for for a few years now, probably four or five years now, and it's just another layer of testing and an opportunity for us to you know engage with a, a different group of players. And um, yeah, there's some futures age players, so sort of 16, 17, and turning 18 year old players. So those younger ones in particular, we can sort of now track them in terms of doing testing at 16, 17 and then 18 and see where they are, see how they improve over that period of time. And um, yeah, it's an AFL kind of run competition. Rookie may fly over to do it for us. So it's a, it's pretty much like a national combine in terms of how it runs, but we're able to get, like I said, it was probably over 500 athletes um, across the boys and girls um, over the weekend, which was uh, which was really good. So how many recruiters would fly in to, to watch these guys go through their paces, Scotty? Yeah, there was probably there was probably six to eight clubs um, that do it, and then obviously they get um, you know, and then the girls obviously around West Coast are, are prominent there, um, and then obviously all the data is getting collated at head office at the moment, and that'll, that'll get shared um, across all the recruiting networks and all the states as well. So, um, so yeah, it's a really it's a really important day, and and, and it gives those um, all, the, all those players an opportunity to kind of yeah get put through their paces, and then if they do get an invite to a state combine or a national combine in the coming sort of years, it's not foreign to them. Um, so yeah, it's a good opportunity for all those players. And are you using it to identify talent or are you using it as a baseline to see how players develop and improve as they go along or is it a bit of both of those things? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both, um, particularly in the girls. There was a few few players that got tested that were sort of pushed up from um, either State state Academy staff or, or Waffle Club staff, but really it's a bit of a it's a testing mechanism that we can kind of, yeah, there's five or six different tests that they do during the day and that's consistent, you know, over the year. So we'll do, yeah, there'll be a state national combine obviously at the end of the year and then we'll do this again next year in Feb and we have for the last four or five years. So like you said, we can really um, set some data around, you know, the, the benchmark that we want, you know, developing 16, 17-year-olds to kind of get to and we can also compare ourselves across to, you know, the other states in Victoria and South Australia and all that kind of stuff as well to see how we're, how we're tracking in all those in all those tests and, and like I said before, yeah, really see how players hopefully improve from that sort of turning 16 to turning 18 as, as they come into their draft year. So the mail coming from recruiters, this this is a thin draft pool in Western Australia in the boys um, yep. in particular this year that we only have two players in the AOS, obviously Subiaco's Malachi champion and Peel Thunder's Bo Allen. Are you concerned about the depth of the pool and what that might mean in the longer term for WA? No, definitely, definitely not in the longer term. Um, you know, we, we never look at one draft sort of in isolation. But uh, yeah, I think I think I heard the recruiter say last year WA was pretty thin as well, and we end up getting as many players taken as the Allies <laughs> who won the national championship. So I think they like to sort of um, say it's a little bit unders and and give themselves a little bit of wriggle room. But I mean, I, I think it's, it's a draft that's happening tomorrow. Um, you know, I would have at least six players that would, would get drafted, and then there's a number of other players behind that have shown great signs over the over the preseason. We've had um, yeah, we've had uh, our state academy boys and girls train the whole preseason with us this year for the first time, and those bottom age players they'll now have an opportunity to do two full preseasons with us leading into their draft year. So we think, yeah, this year on the surface there's a there's a bit of commentary around it being a, a tad thinner, but we know the year after it's going to be 
going to be really strong. And like I said, those two full pre-seasons. But, you know, I think this time last year, we didn't, no, no one, not, not, so Joe Fonte and Big Zane from Claremont, um, he got drafted to Brisbane. He wasn't on anyone's radar. Although those two weren't on anyone's radar and they ended up both getting drafted. So I think it's a bit early to tell. But, um, yeah, I think the main difference is probably we don't have those sort of two to four guaranteed sort of first rounders that we've probably had the last three or four years. Um, but I think on the, on the whole, our numbers should still be pretty strong um, later in the year. So let's talk about Bo Allen, because obviously he was the one guy that played as an underager in your 18s last year. Tell us about what sort of player he is. Am I right in saying he played on Harley Reid when you played Vic Country at the Wacker last year? Did Bo Allen have a go at uh, have a go on yeah, Harley Reid? And, and, yeah, yeah, and did, all, did. did okay? Is that, is that right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, correct. Yeah, he did. He had that role. Um, obviously, Harley was running around doing what he wanted that night at the Wacker. But yeah, when he was when he was um, playing permanent forward, Bo definitely had that role. So that's his that's his go down back. But he's also like he's had a he's he's trained really really well during the preseason. I know he spent a fair bit of time um, training with Fremantle as well. Um, which um, and speaking to a couple of their coaches, um, you know, he, he hasn't looked out of place at all doing that preseason or some of those preseason trainings with Fremantle. So that's really positive and yeah we think he'll be able to push up into the midfield this year in his in his 18th year and um yeah he, he's one that could um yeah he could really um rocket up the draft order come later in the year depending on how, how he goes but yeah hopefully he gets some senior opportunity appeal this year as well um and no doubt he'll, uh, he'll be prominent in our in our 18s program in the, in the middle part of the year malachi champion obviously smaller player got a few tricks tell us about him yeah he does yeah he's um he's got a he's got a um yeah, he's he really does as, as a small forward. Obviously, he's a, an NGA um, product to uh, to uh, to West Coast. So you know, at a minimum, you'd think he'd end up there at the end of the year. But um, you know, we sort of thought that last year with a couple of different players as well, and they went went before the uh, the NGA pick. So um, he may be one of them. But um, yeah, he's a really crafty um, small forward, um, and yeah, he, he's another one I expect potentially plays a little bit of um, senior football for Subiaco this year, and uh, he hopefully is prominent for us in the in the champs and can get on the end of you and um, really put on a lot of forward pressure and um, kick a couple of goals for us because, um, yeah, he's got some real talent. You mentioned Zane Sakostelsky and um, I can't remember who the other name you mentioned, the blokes that come from the clouds. Ruben Jimby came from... Oh, yeah, yeah Jimby. Joe Fonte, uh, Jimby the Fonte, year before. Yeah. Um, so it can happen in Western Australia. I suspect the tyranny yeah. of distance kicks in a little bit with us and recruiters over here. Uh, so you mentioned there were four others you thought would get drafted if the draft was held tomorrow, who are the blokes we should be keeping an eye on uh, early in the waffle season? Yeah, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Duran's definitely one. Cody Ango, Will Hayes, and, and Austin uh, Vanderstroff. So he, um, all, all those guys, we think, yeah, if the draft was happening now, they'd be they'd be right in the mix. And then, like I said before, there's just been a number of players that we've like the boys have been training that hard, and, and the girls as well. But watching them at, at training and, and speaking to you know Adam Jones and Mark Webb and the coaches, like the, the, the boys have been going that hard. So I think there'll be a number of other players that um, really improve um, on the back of a on the back of a really really strong preseason. So I think those boys I mentioned before, and then there'll be a number of others that'll pop up during the year as well, and, and hopefully get our get our numbers up similar to our prior years. Now it wasn't a great year for the state 18s uh, in 2023, Scotty. You put a f- few measures in place to try and get a, a, I guess, a more cohesive team on the park early in the 18s championship. Tell us what you've done, and uh, and what you're aiming to to get out of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, last last year was disappointing uh, on field in terms of only winning that one game, and then uh, I suppose a close loss to a uh, big country there at the Wacker, which we talked about earlier. But uh, yeah, on the back of I suppose like that, we know the coach league and and, and how well that how well that is resourced and we know what's happening with the Northern Academies and, and all that kind of stuff and how heavily funded they are. Um, we made a decision probably halfway through the year um, that we would um, would run that pre-season program um, internally. Um, 
um, for the boys and the girls. So, yeah, speaking about the boys in particular, so they'll end up, they'll finish a 12-week pre-season with us. Um, and that's probably about 30 of a normal squad. And then we've added a heap of extra underages as well to the program in terms of hopefully giving them, like I said before, those two um, full pre-seasons. We've also invited a heap of tools um, with a bit of a tools program once a week um, that have come down to uh, train with us as well um, over the pre-season. But we've also been able to do a whole heap of baseline athletic testing in the gym. Um, we run a leadership program, a lot of off-field education um, through nutrition in particular. Um, and we've been able to sort of beef up our coaching stocks as well and, and get the coaches consistently with the players. So we've had Sheriff Wellingham, Zach Clark, Adam uh, Guglielmani and Mark Seavey with the playing group. Obviously, Mark Webber's Head coach for the whole preseason, which has been um, which has been really positive. Those those um, coaches in particular have been uh, really upbeat and, and really had a positive impact on the on the players. Um, we've we've employed a full time S and C that's working across the boys and girls, which is which has been really good as well. And um, yeah, that'll close out for the boys and on the 29th of Feb, where we're going to play sort of an inter interstate um, game, which will be all that squad um, that I talked about before. And we'll look for a couple of top ups um, to, to get two full teams to play against each other down at Coburn on the on the Thursday 29th of Feb on the on the Thursday night. So yeah, it's been um it's been huge and it's obviously been what like we talked about before, it's been really hot. And I think this Thursday is forty two. So I think Adam Jones um, was telling me yesterday, I think the last four Thursdays, um it's been close to forty during the day. Obviously cools down a little bit but yeah they've gone really hard and had had really strong um pre season. So we're we're optimistic what this group can do this year and we know with all those uh, those bottom ages like I talked about before them getting exposed to a, a high performance program like this and then again next year in the 18th year we, we think it's going to uh, have some pretty, pretty positive outcomes for uh, talent in WA going forward. Scott really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to speaking to you again as the year goes on No problems at all, thanks Dave, appreciate your support Chat soon. Scott Baker he is the WSC's Executive Manager of Talent and Football Operations